morning for your thoughts and uh, leading us to remember Jesus. I appreciate all of that this morning. I do have one more announcement from my wife here. Um, moms with infants and toddlers and dads out there, if you need a space, you don't have to, but if you need a space to step out with any little ones, we do have a room down the hallway here. It's the first double doors you see, and we do have a live stream running down there for, uh, I guess it's a cry room for moms, and then maybe if the babies are crying, oh yeah. But you don't have to go, so we do, we do welcome all the children. But if you want to escape, you can, and you won't miss a thing down there. Amen. Um, I do see uh, our good friends here. Just continue to pray for our friends, uh, Katie and Drew Tukarski. They're here. They, uh, Katie lost her dad this past week. Uh, Carl, so they were in Kentucky, and they're back here with us. So keep praying for the Tukarski family. Uh, they are in the back there. Hello. So, Amen. All right. Um, we were at a camp last Sunday. So uh, some of us who uh, braved the elements, literally, for most of the time. But Sunday was gorgeous, man. It was awesome. So God, God did hook us up, and we were trying to bring our live stream. So if you were looking and scouring the Internet for a live stream, well, Camp Bethel let us down in that regard. The Wi-Fi was strongest actually where we camped out in the middle of a field, but where the auditorium was was weak. Uh, so go figure. So maybe next year if we're there, we'll, we'll do it right there in the field with a big canopy or something like that. But uh, maybe live stream will be old hat next time this year. Who knows? Anyway. But it was great, and it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was just it was awesome. Uh, so come out next year. Uh, don't be deterred by the weather. Uh, but uh, I am, I think I'm 0 for 7 now in regards to weather and all that kind of stuff. The best, the best weather we ever had was when we called off the trip. So um, anyway, I'm trying to give that responsibility to somebody else so that we have some, some greater, uh, greater weather, but no takers thus far, but pretty much anybody other than me will do a great job. But it was fun, and uh, if you're wondering what our, our, our resident cardinal over there, that's actually a, a dying battery on the alarm to the door, so we don't have any uh, infestations here. And it's every 44 seconds if you want to sing along with, with it. So. Anyway, it's just giving me feedback and keeping me on time, so that'll be great. So we were camping last Sunday. It was awesome. And uh, again, Sunday's weather was fantastic and uh, great service there with the Lynchburg Valley Church. We did have some folks from New Jersey there. We had people in Am from Hampton Roads, and it was great fellowship afterwards, and New River came up, and as always, just fantastic memories. And uh, I thought it was perfect timing because it's weekends like that where it reminds you, and I think we feel that more, more than ever, having kind of come back together a little bit more here recently, uh, how amazing the kingdom of God is and uh, how amazing it is to be a part of, of his church. So we were playing games together. We were swimming together. We were uh, getting wet together. We were worshiping together, uh, cooking, eating, setting each other's tents up in the rain, sharing food, working together, flinging each other in the air together. Uh, it, it was awesome. And that weekend was a reminder for me and I think for everybody that was there uh, really, as, as perfect timing as we're segueing from into a little mini-series here in the RVC over the summer, our theme has been The Way, and we're going to stay on that. And that's been encouraging and inspiring and challenging to me. But with summer here and us meeting more in person, some of the barriers, praise God, have been lifted for us. And uh, it's perfect timing to start connecting again. And I felt, for me personally, I don't know about you, but I think it's perfect timing to learn how to be the church again. If you're like me, uh, you got a little rusty with some of the aspects of being a part of the body of Christ. 
You know, there are certain aspects that you can't practice watching Zoom. There are certain aspects of the body of Christ you can't practice when you're not all together. And yes, those can be refined within your own family household, for sure. Those, those, uh, those strengths will come out in our church. But uh, I felt that, and I don't know about you, if you felt that, we're, we, need, we need to actually regroup and kind of sharpen up on what it means to be the church and how to be the church. So this morning, my lesson here, if you can see, it's a little bit faded up there. But uh, the title of this lesson is The Way of the Early Church. And what better way to learn how to be the church than to look at where it started and what they did and why. So if you couldn't figure it out, flip over to Acts chapter 2, where the early church began, the Christian church, that is. And we're going to be reading in verse 40 through 47. This, this will be a launch lesson, and we're going to jump into this text for the next couple of months, uh, diving into what made the church the church and where and why all that came. So I really do appreciate when the spirit works. You know, Bill was up here sharing about guilt and guilt is a part of things, but it's not meant to ever be the motivator for why we do what we do. That's an unhealthy uh, motivator for sure. So this lesson may make you feel guilty, but that's not its intent. This is prayerfully meant to inspire us to be what God has already made us to be. Amen. So we're going to be reading in verse 40, the way of the early church, and we'll read through the end of the section here. All right, verse 40, with many other words, this is Peter preaching. He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, the church here is powerful. It's effective. It's growing. And at this point in time, it's quickly surpassing all the other dominant worldviews that were in play in this very moment. You know, the disciples in the early church, you got to ask yourself a simple question. Why? Why did it take off the way it did? We see here in context, 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then in verse 47, people were continually being added to their number. Why? The early church was incredibly and attractively different than everything else in the world. At that moment, you guys are okay? That's really fancy. You guys are all staring at that. I don't know. He's better looking than me. There we go. You just love the word of God. You're like, oh, purples and blues. Anyway, uh, it was attractively different than everything else at that time, period. But the text gives us a hint as to why the church was powerful, effective, and growing, and why it surpassed even the Greco-Roman philosophies of that time. And it's one word this morning that describes it for us. In verse 42, they were devoted. Now we think of devoted, and for us, it could be a many, many meetings, a many meetings rather. You devote yourself to one another. When you get married, you're devoted to each other. All that's true. But in the original language and in English, it means you give yourself away. 
you give yourself, not just give some of yourself, like I'm devoted to you at certain times, but then when I go to work, I do my own thing. No, I'm giving myself away consistently. That's what it means to be devoted, where you're becoming less and less, and you're giving yourself more and more. I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek word up there, but there it is for all you scholars out there. But it really means to to give themselves away. And if you have a different translation out there, that's what it actually may read in verse 42. They gave themselves to the apostles' teachings. They gave themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we'll look at that more and more as we move along in the summer. It means also to be set apart, to set aside. But we're going to zero in on this idea of the church became what it was because they consistently gave themselves away. One of my favorite uh, preachers is a guy named Timothy Keller. I've referenced him, a lot of you guys know. But he calls this text of why the church did what it did. Because they had radical unselfishness. A radical unselfishness. It had never been seen before in its time. In verse 44, it highlights there that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, possessions, they gave to anyone who had need. That's what you see here, and this is striking to the culture. So you got to think about what was the culture that was going on when the early church started? What was the mentality of the Romans, the Greeks, the hedonists, so the hedonism, the Greek culture uh, spreading out all over the place? There was an early opponent, a guy named Lucian of Somasada, who was an early opponent of Christianity. And what he wrote about the Christians is here up there. You can read along with me. It says, their founder, referencing Jesus, taught them that they should be like brothers to one another and therefore despise their own property and view their own possessions as common property. Now, for all you patriots out there, you're thinking, communism, what in the world? This is not communism. Communism is when you have one common pot and then it's dispersed from that. This is communal spirituality. This is not communism. All right? Are your hearts cleared now? Ready for the gospel now? Okay. It's a worldview that creeps in. When we read a passage like this, and I'm, I'm first in line. Oh, wait a minute. Does that mean I just need to despise myself and, you know, give? Am I going to enable people? Am I an enabler now? Is the church enabling? You think that way. I think that way when it comes to giving myself away. Will I be taken advantage of? Will this be appreciated? Will this actually re- produce change? I mean, there's, a, there's reasons why we may not even give contribution because we don't think it's going to go to the needs that we think it should go to. Those are things that I wrestle with in my heart. Yes, just I'm alone. We're all there. So before we look at this through Western American eyes and say, oh, well, that's the old days. This is a spiritual communal community that God is calling us to, but it's still the question that needs to be answered is why? Why did they do that? Lucian says it's crazy. He was, a, he was an opponent, but it's that very thing that swept the world, that won the world over. They shared with one another all who had need. There was a heart of radical unselfishness. The word that keeps coming up, you can't get away from it in this text, is the word together. Together, together, together. It's there in verse 44, 44 seconds. 44, it just keeps coming up together. So the, the, the context to this moment is paramount. We know this was Pentecost, 50 days after 
after the Passover. It's a huge, huge celebration where Jews from all over the world come for a pilgrimage in this moment. And they're all there. And if you want to read the context, verse 9 gives you, verse 8 and 9 gives you a bunch of different locations, locales, where people were coming. Now, they all had, com- the one common thing in, my, in mind is that they were, they were Jewish. They had Jewish heritage or they had, they had converted to Judaism. And now they're coming for this feast, this festival, this pilgrimage. But you have Greeks, you have Romans, and by chapter 13, you have African and Asian Christians all in this mix right here. So you have people that are completely different from one another, different languages, different cultures, different eye contact, different hands, you name it, everything is different, but they're together all the time, all the time. They give their money, their time, their emotions, their resources, they are devoted. They're giving it all away. Christians is to be synonymous with unselfish. Christian and hoarding is is not meant to be in the same phrase. Christian and selfish, Christian and greedy, Christian and, you know, all that is not meant to be what describes his church. And this was all radically different. Think about this. In the culture, there is no other religion that attracted all races like Christianity. Judaism never really broke out of its own cultural identity. It didn't even want to in a lot of, for sure at this point. No other religions actually included all genders. The two dominating competition of, to the early church, if you want to call it that, attracted mostly men. Women were, were not even considered to be wise enough to wrestle with the deeper truths. And we know that's not true. I mean, hey, right? That wasn't enough amens by the men out there. I don't know. I only heard Paul. Mercy. We do. We are rusty. We, <laughs> amen. The philosophies that were, that were primarily uh, accepted were, were totally just for those who are moral and socially cultured. If you didn't have that culture, you weren't given philosophy. You didn't have access to it. And Christianity is the only religion that was acceptable or uh, rather ac- accepted by both rich and poor alike. Every other religion was for the higher-borns. Every other philosophy was for the high-born. And you see Christians in this moment, all types of people, all shades of people, all genders, all wealth statuses, all together giving themselves away. All together, not in cliques. You've been to a meeting, and dare I say, even in the body of Christ, when we're all quote-unquote together, but we have our little cliques, right? It's just, it's almost human nature. If you want to see it act out in some of its earliest forms, go to a middle school dance and tell me human nature doesn't exist. Boys on this side, girls on that side, and I think, hey, man, that should probably happen until it's a marriage retreat. So anyway, but anyway, no other religion did this, and if there were shades of it, it's not even close, and it swept the world. Now, it's hard for us in the 21st century to look at this text, one, with Middle Eastern eyes, but then two, to not have your cultural moments be rooted. And what I mean by that is that this is not new to you. You've read this passage how many times? How many times has there been a sermon? Some, some minister like me comes up and says, this is how awesome the church is. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. 
agree, agree, agree. So it's hard for us at this moment to root out our cultural informants. But we have an opportunity, I believe, we have an opportunity to see this text and live it out new more than any other time in our history. Because guess what? We haven't all been together in over a year. We haven't been spending all this time with each other. We are coming together as pilgrims to worship God again and having to reconnect. There are new things about you that happened this year that other disciples don't know. There are new words. Now we're all speaking English for the most part, but there's new things. New things have happened to you. New things are going in our world. There's been issues with, with, with biases, with racism, with things that are going on in your life that we still wanna talk about. These are all new things. So what I'm trying to paint here is that we have our opportunity to have a little modern day, 21st century Pentecost moment where the disciples all get together again they're together with all their differences. They're together with all their lives. And we give ourselves away again. We bring it all in. We bring it us all together. And we have a spirit about us that's ready to give ourselves away. In conversation, emotionally, physically, giving ourselves to each other again. So while we read this text and say, okay, well, the skeptical among us, well, that's new stuff. That just... That was a new idea, so of course it shined brightly. Well, to you, I say, isn't the church still meant to be countercultural? Isn't the church even now meant to be and have the opportunity to shine brightly, to be different? That to say that the, the philosophies of the first century were to actually repay evil for evil. Is that not still the culture we live in? Yeah, there's still some moralists and those who have kind of grown up going to church know it's better to forgive than to hold grudges. But by and large, doesn't the world say, you know what, if someone treats you poorly, forget about them. And if you're up north, forget about them. Right? If someone harms you, what's the thing you do? You go tell other people about it. You say, boy, you slander. And people empathize with you at work because you had a hard situation. Well, guess what? That's still, the, that's still the common thought process. When you're hurt, put it out there. Put it out there, don't hold it in. Put it out on social media. Put it out on Facebook. Put it out there. Okay, great. But how do we deal with it within the church? We find out, we actually know each other and we deal those things. We're not keyboard assassins. We deal with those things. I'm not saying all social media or all posts or assassin theory or whatever. I'm saying that it's not where we do our battles. We put it out there, we're open, we're honest, we're transparent, we shine brightly, but it's all brought back together and we learn just like they had to learn how to be the church with all those differences. It says there in verse 47 that the Lord added to their number daily. This group was pumped. To be together. I mean, imagine, I'm trying to imagine myself being there and be like, well, there's Sally and she speaks, she speaks something else, but you got to come meet her. I, I don't really, we only have a couple words that we can exchange, but you got to come. I mean, imagine all the barriers and all the excuses that we'd have. Like, well, really only like one ninth of the church actually likes your people, but they're different. I promise you. Like, are you sure they're going to be? 
accepting of me? I promise you, like, I don't know, man. I'll see it when I believe it. Like, you think, you think entering a new church is tough today. Like, will I be accepted? Will anyone come welcome me? Is there going to be clicks in the church? I mean, talk about entering into an international service where no one's speaking the same language. Talk about that having barriers to why you might want to come. So there was something about this church, something about the disciples, that God could add to their number daily, those who are being saved. I believe it's because they gave themselves away over and over and over again. And the world said, no way. No way do people forgive. No way do people just empty themselves out. No way do they care that deeply. No way are they that in tune to the needs of their people that they're willing to give it. No way are they radically unselfish like this. But I still haven't answered the most important question. Because by now, you might be thinking a little bit more about Bill's communion. Like, oh, man, I haven't been giving myself away. All the guilty hearts out there are like, I don't know, man. So why? What's the motivation? Why do we want to be this church? Why do you want to be like this? Why do you want to give yourself away? The message they just heard was all about Jesus doing it first. The one who had it all gave himself away. There's a text in John chapter 17. And this is Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross for us. And he says, he prays to God, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself so that they too may be sanctified by the truth. What does sanctified mean? I'm devoted. I gave myself away. I came here. I did what you told me to do. I gave myself away. John records this 50, 60 years after Jesus dies. What motivated him? What motivates the early church? It was their Jesus who was God and he came down and became nothing. Every day he sanctified himself, lived righteously, so that he could give himself away. And if he did it, then who am I to not do it? If the God of the universe did it, why don't I? So in your marriage, why do you hold grudges? Because you're not giving yourself away. Why are there issues between disciples? that are not ironed out. I'm not saying it ironed out one conversation. I'm talking about both groups aren't going to each other to get reconciled. Why? Because you're holding on to yourself. You're not giving yourself away. Why, is, why aren't we growing every day? I don't know, because we don't give ourselves away. Now, this isn't a formula for all you engineers out there. Well, if I give myself this much time, then this is what's gonna happen. I would love a formula, but that's not the formula. The formula is, if there was one, I'm moved and inspired, compelled, convicted, and convinced that Jesus gave himself away, so I'm going to learn, I'm going to be devoted to doing the same. And every day I wanna learn how to give myself away. If that means emotional time, where I'm locked eyes with another disciple, asking questions, active listening, then that's what it's gonna be. 
If there's a need I can meet financially, if there's someone who has something that I have that they need, okay, there's an opportunity. If it's opening my mouth and sharing the gospel in a situation where I'm just, just consumed with my own reputation, that's an opportunity. If there's a need that I need to get resolved with another disciple, then that's an opportunity. There are so many opportunities for us. And I don't want us to look at this text and say, well, those are the glory days of the church and that'll never happen again. The goal isn't to see 3,000 people baptized in a day. The goal is to be like Jesus. And the goal is to have his church when it's seen to be so radically different of the culture, so uniquely different, not so that we can pull on our lapels and say, look at us, we're unique. Trust me, if you just imitate Jesus, you'll be unique enough. You don't need to add anything else. Well, we're evangelistic. We're really giving. We're really sacrificial. We do mission. Our worship's this. Our this. Our building looks like that. Forget all that. That is not what describes us. Clearly, we can't even keep our doors from chirping at us. As a church, the way of the church isn't let's be like the church. The way is let's be like Jesus. That's their motivation. Why? Why were they de devoted to the apostles' teachings? Why did they give themselves away to scripture? Why did they give themselves to being taught? Why did they give themselves to the fellowship and breaking bread and the prayer? It's because they saw Jesus do it. And they all were moved by that truth, that the one who had everything gave himself away. And now we get to. Now we get to. So as we launch into this summer, as we delve into some of these devoted principles that we see in this text remember the motivation the why is Jesus did it so this week and always but especially this week as we launch into this new little mini series I want you to think how did Jesus give himself away we go to the cross and rightly so but what other ways inspire you to give yourselves away we see it in Jesus, and it always goes back to him. The summer's among us. That's exciting. We're back together. We're seeing each other more often. Some barriers are being lifted, and now we all have the opportunity presented to us, I believe, to be together, to practice this, to once again be devoted, and to knock the rust off in the process. But I believe, I truly, truly believe the world is wondering what the church is going to be like now. What are the, what's the Christians going to be like now? It's been digital, people have been away, and now churches are opening back up. What will they find? What will they see? And I believe here, at least at the RVC, they're going to see people who know God gave himself away for them and that are committed, devoted to learning how to give ourselves away over and over and over again as he sees fit. Amen? Let's give ourselves away this week, but be inspired by the one who did it first. Let's stand and sing for a final song. Thanks so much.